So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. As you're turning there, we want to uh, remember that uh, it is in a series in the book of Ephesians that we find ourselves today, and we're rejoining it after Easter Sunday, which was a, a great time of being together. Uh, we had uh, the first part of Ephesians 3, and now we dive into the end of this chapter on what it is to know the love of God. And so, let's, uh, I'm going to read this and then pray and we'll go, we'll go at it together. The Word of God says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that in this time we have together, that you would teach us, teach us about your love, teach us about your power, teach us about your eagerness to be with us, your promise to never leave us. Father, please, I ask I ask that in this moment, we would trust that you are in control. We would trust that you always, always, always have your glory and our good as your children at the core of all that you do. You are motivated for a love for your fame and the good of your people in Christ. And so, Lord, we just ask... We ask that you would please teach us, shape us, mold us, change us, empower us, strengthen us in our core, the depth of our soul, that we might be your hands and feet, that we might be men and women who pray. Father, we're desperate. We need you. Now come. Come in power. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You might have heard the phrase, desperate people do desperate things. Desperate times, desperate measures, whatever it is. The image that comes to my mind is those who are sitting on a roller coaster that they've never ridden before. And as they go on this roller coaster, they've heard about how great it is. 
but they've never really experienced this moment they're about to experience. And so you've seen these videos, and sadly, it was hard to find one where the words were acceptable for the viewing audience. So you sit there and you watch this, and the face gets all pushed around, but that's not what's interesting. What's interesting is to watch the screams and the wails coming out of their mouths because all of a sudden, they are experiencing something they never thought they would experience. There is a desperation. They are crying out, you know, like there's no one that should nor could on this earth stop that roller coaster, right? Like if they're in the middle of a loop and they're saying, get me off of this, they really don't mean that like in that moment, right? Like it, it's, it would be a bad idea. So what you see is you see them crying out for whatever because they're desperate. Desperate times lead to desperate measures. And the more desperate you are, the more you call out. Here's what we see with Paul. We see Paul understanding his own personal difficulty. I'm the worst of sinners, Paul says. We see a situation in the church, Jews and Gentiles, once like this, now by the blood of Jesus, all brought together There's desperation. How will unity be preserved when so many different viewpoints and so many different ideas are right before us? And in desperate times, Paul says this, I bow my knees to the Father. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And what we begin to see is Paul knew not only that he was in a desperate situation, but he knew the one to go to. And so in our desperation, Paul models what we do. We pray. We pray asking and believing these five things taught in this passage. One, the Father hears. Two, the Father strengthens. Three, the Lord dwells with you. Four, the Lord loves you. Five, the Lord is working far beyond our comprehension. So, as we dive in here in this moment of desperation for Paul, this realization that he is not able to provide what he is longing to give, he prays. He's not desperate because he thinks God is out of control. He's desperate because he knows he's not in control. And he's got to go to the one who's in control, the Father above. And so, here's where we've come from. Ephesians chapter 3 begins this way. For this reason, if you see that, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he just takes a break and he goes sideways. And he starts talking about the mystery of the Gentiles being brought into the family of God, fellow heirs, partakers of the same promise, all these glorious things. And then he dives back into his thought for this reason. You'll see the repetition, verse 1 and then verse 14. So Paul's prayers now is is filled up with what he has taught us in verses 2 through 13. But he says it again, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. What is the reason? The reason is found in chapter 2. Humanity is dead in their trespasses and sins. It requires the grace of God to come and to awaken dead hearts. And the Savior has come. 
He's the one that has brought mercy. He's the one that has brought the power that is necessary to not only save the individual, but to bring peace between Jew and Gentile, to bring them into one body. He himself is their peace. And it says at the end of chapter 2, it says this, So then you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, all of the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The building is not... What is the temple? He says, the human heart is the temple. And all of us together are the temple. The holy ground is the heart of humanity indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are His church, not the bricks and mortar. We are the people of God. And here he says, to a Jew and Gentile audience, you are the temple. Now, the temple is a Jewish image. It was the place that the Jews gathered to worship the living God. And he says, now you both are the temple. A little bit controversial. It's like, keep off my symbols kind of thing. (laughs) No, they're bringing them together because the point of the temple was the glory of God. And that happens by simple faith alone. Simple faith alone. He dwells within our hearts. And so he says... For this reason, because God indwells his people, Jew and Gentile, because of all the possible disunity that could come from that reality and all the personal weakness because we are dead in our trespasses and sins and we need the living Savior to continue to work, I pray. So do you understand the desperation? The desperation is individual and corporate desperation and so Paul knows where to go because he's convinced his father hears him his father hears him pastor Kenny Stokes came from Bethlehem Baptist Church a while back and he preached on the God who listens the God who loves bending his ear towards his people and let's just remind one another of some scriptures that teach us that the Father hears. Psalm 4.3 But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, David says. Psalm 69.33 For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. He hears the needy. You feel needy. He hears you. By faith in Christ. Peter picks up on the themes of Psalm 34 all throughout his letter. And here he quotes Psalm 34. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. The Lord hears us and because he hears us, Paul knew it, was convinced of it. And he bows his knees. He falls on his face in the sense it's a prayer. God, please work. You know, the greatest gift you can give to somebody is to listen. It's this sense of, I can't tell you how many times in my marriage, the phrase, I just need to know you've heard me. 
I just need to know you've heard me. It is this call to want to be known, right? I want you to want to know me. I want you to not listen for your agenda, but to genuinely care for my heart. So whether it's marriage or friendships or parenting, whatever it is, one of the greatest gifts you can give is just, I care enough to listen. And the Father listens. The Father hears. He cares. He cares. And it's Paul's intense love for the church that causes him to run to the Father who hears. Why is he calling out? Because he's anxious for the church. He's anxious for the church. He wants them to be strengthened. He wants the church to be unified. He wants the joy of Christ to be abundantly clear in their hearts. He knows this. Only Christ can bring unity and peace. He's already stated it. For Christ himself is our peace. Because only the Father can create life out of death. He knows that life has to happen. So he prays. Only the creator of all things can make new creations. And so he prays to the Father of all of life. Only Jesus can rescue from sins. Only Jesus can be the cornerstone. Desperate people pray. Self-sufficient people do not. We've said this before. And the more you and I press into Jesus, the more we realize we're out of control. We are joyfully desperate and completely and intimately dependent upon the grace of God. So we stop and we pray. We stop and we pray. We are the individuals on the roller coaster at all times. (laughs) Unable to get ourselves out of this situation. And the Father just wants us to say, yes, call out to us. Call out to me at all times. Call out to me, he says. And this is what Paul teaches us. Are you downcast? We're not called to stuff it or to explode on people. We're called to stop. Stop and be vulnerable before the Lord. Our Father did not send His Son to die for us, only to then be against us. He sent His Son to die for us, to be fully for us, to be with us. He's listening to us. He hears our prayers. Look at what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This image of the bowing of the knee... It's used several times throughout the Bible. In 1 Kings, it's the image that's used when God tells Elijah, I've got 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. What did that represent? i got 7,000 people who are sold out for me, God says, who are surrendering to me. You've got this image quoted from Isaiah 45, but that Paul says in Philippians 2, that At the end of all things, every what will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is this sense of the bowing of the knee is not primarily a prescription of form, but a condition of the heart. We bow the knee to say, you are my king. Throughout the Bible, there are many different postures of prayer. There is the bowed knee, the kneeling. There's the standing. There's the lying prostrate on the ground. There's the head between the knees. There's the lifting the hands 
in holy hands in prayer. There's the singing of prayers. There's all kinds of postures. The point is not the posture per se. It's the heart. But I will advocate this. That many times it is the posture of the body that is used by God as a teacher for the heart. It is the physical desperation of getting down. It is the putting your body flat on the ground. It is the lifting up and saying, this, I'm this desperate, I'm this unable, you must give to me. Those things begin to change you because you don't do them as a, just an outward action. You do them as the sense of, God, I surrender all to you. When we major on the form, we miss the point. But don't diminish what Paul is saying here. My heart is surrendered as I go to the Father who hears. I just, I just want what you want, Father. I, I, just, I just need you. I'm, I'm unable to make this happen. That is such a beautiful place of peace. When we can just be honest and say, I'm unable able to fix it and we bow our knees and we call out and we say father 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 isn't that what he says i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named why does he say that well you're asking like who is he the father of Well, he's definitely the father of his people. And there's a unique way that he's the father specifically of the redeemed. But this passage is bigger than that. It actually says in Hebrews 10, he's the father of the angels. In James 1, he's the father of lights, which is alluding to things beyond just flesh. He's the father of all things. He's the creator of all things. He is sovereign over all things in heaven and on earth. This is the one we're calling out to, the one who is able This is a declaration that he doesn't just hear, but he can't do anything about it. He hears and the Lord strengthens. And Paul knows it. And so he bows his knee in surrender. And then he walks towards this great, glorious father of all things, sovereign over all creation. And he says, oh Lord, strengthen. Oh Lord, strengthen. Do you see where we get this? Verse 16, he says, according to the riches of his glory. It is a gift. I don't know if you've been to the ocean, but it is a gift that we don't live that far from there. And here's why. There's very few things on this planet that can speak to vastness and almost unendingness because of our experience, right? In the moment, you can't see the the other side, so to speak. There's very few things that can keep you very small and to be able just to stand on that coast and to look out it is the riches of the glory of God are greater than the waters in the deepest of seas and he's like according to those riches 
It's speaking to something that's meant to just make your mind, you know, put that emoji on, you know, just the mind blows. Like, he's not going to run out of resources. He's not going to fall short or lack. He is the father of all creation. And according to his vastness, his great riches, Paul says, I'm praying that he makes you strong. Two words used for power here, strengthen and power. It's this idea of dunamis, which is like dynamite, power. It's the word used regularly throughout the New Testament to just this explosive power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. But he's asking that you would be given church. Yes, church of Ephesus, but this prayer is preserved in Holy Scripture that it is a prayer that extends. The ripples extend all the way till the, he comes again. Oh God, strengthen your church. And the strength that is needed is not the physical strength. It's like Paul says in Timothy, physical strength is of some value, but godliness is of supreme value, of higher value. He's not just saying, I want you to, I want you to be able to face these obstacles physically. He's saying, I want you to be strengthened. What's the passage say? With power through his spirit in the inner being. In the depth of the soul, in the place you cannot touch with your fingers, like the place that really hurts when the pain hurts. The place that really feels weak whenever you say, I'm weak. The place that you know needs comfort that you cannot just say, comfort happen. That inner core of the soul, the deep of the deep, the low of the low, he says, I want the Spirit of God to penetrate right into that part in your inner being because the Lord strengthens. The, the Spirit of God, this first line of defense, this God-indwelling Holy Spirit who is strengthening us upon the prayers of His people. That is something interesting here that it's not just a prayer for Paul. It's something that we are being given to be encouraged by to pray this for one another. That we would be strengthened. What a gift to be able to stop and to pray for others and to say, oh God, strengthen them. God has been convicting me and encouraging me recently that when I seek to text someone that I'm praying for them or encourage them, that I would try to include the scripture that I am praying for them. And apps make that really easy because, you know, you can put your finger over the app and it says copy. And then, you know, you put it in the text and you hit it and it says paste. And boom, you got like 10 verses like that, you know. It's, it's fun that way. I like it. But it is this encouragement that Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so you are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's this sense of the encouraging through prayer is not only for the recipient but for the prayer. And that's why Paul is really clear like I'm on my knees, I'm surrendering all, I'm praying this. He's being changed in this moment. It's, it's, it's the opportunity we have 
to be a part of the spirit changing work. And I encourage you, I encourage you, not only receive the strengthening of the Lord, but be a part of what Jesus says we are to be, a house of prayer, a people that the fabric of the church, all the threads are threads of the people of God praying. And that's what keeps us knit together, unified, strengthened in our inner being. Prayer is essential for that strength. If you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, you hear Jesus say this to his weak people like us, his followers. Watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41, that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why is he praying? Because we are weak. Listen to Psalm 73. David in his weakness says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. That's that inner being and my portion forever. And then he goes on to say, For me it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. We are a weak people. And it is God alone who can strengthen us in our inner core. Just to press on it just a little bit more as we go to the Lord who dwells with us. Before we do, why do we need to be strengthened? Just underscore it. Listen again. Because we are weak. What are those weaknesses? What are those things that are threats to unity? What are those things that are threats to the soul? This sense of spiritual strength. You're weary. You might be anxious. You might be downcast and deeply sad. You might be weak. The way you might describe your soul is heavy or burdened. Because you're facing suffering, you stop and you say, God, grant me strength. When he's praying, strengthen my heart, what is he praying? He's praying that, yes, there would be a removal of sin. Anything that is pressing down and and is a barrier between you and experiencing the richness of God. Oh, God, strengthen them towards holiness. Strengthen them towards likeness. And he goes to God because God's the only one who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's the only one who can fight for us. He is our righteousness. What does it mean when he says strengthen my heart? It's not just the removal of sin, but it's the, oh God, give me confidence when I doubt. It's the prayer, I believe, but help my unbelief. When he's praying for you to be strong, he's praying for your faith to grow For the shaky foundation blown around by the circumstances of life. He's praying that your faith would find firm roots in Christ. When he prays that you would be strengthened. He's praying that hope would come in the midst of sadness. Isn't that what he says to the church at Thessalonica? I want you to grieve as those who have hope. So when we are grieving. When we are sad. When he prays for strength. He's praying that hope would rise up in the heart. That's what he's praying for. It's strength. What about the anxious heart? 
the heart that is fearful around every corner because we don't know the future. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what the answers are. What happens when the heart is anxious? Well, the heart being anxious is telling you and it's helping you see what you think you can't do without, David Pallison says. Anxiety tells us what we are believing we can't do without. Theologically, we know the only thing we can't do without is Jesus. Experientially, when the anxiety rises, it's I can't do without this. This relationship, this job, this money, this experience. What do we do? Paul is praying, oh God, grant them strength. Give them peace. Rip away that anxiety. Help them to see that the sovereign God of all things loves them and is near to them and hears them and will strengthen them. That's what I want. He's praying. When he prays for strength, he doesn't minimize the struggle. He just directs the gaze towards the God who hears and who strengthens. And I believe wholeheartedly this list of five things is one of the ways that you constantly have to fight against the feelings of hopelessness and sadness and anxiety. It is just this constant reminder. I know when I am anxious, I am forgetting the Lord is near. And I am believing I have to fix it. It is unbelief in that moment. It is believing that I'm the only one who can fix this. There's a sense of control. I get it. It happens right here. Fellow struggler, I'm needing Paul's prayer. I need to pray it for you and you need to pray it for me. That we would be strengthened to believe the Lord is near and he hears. And he strengthens his people. So, Paul goes on to say that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being so that, so that. I want you to be strong so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, I would have expected it a little differently. I would have expected it because Jesus dwells in your heart, you will be strong. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something else. I want you to be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. What is this? He's not talking about the right doctrine, the right teaching that when by simple faith alone you trust in Jesus by the Spirit of God, He comes and dwells in your heart. God lives inside of you by faith alone. Here, He's talking about the experience, the intimacy, the power of the indwelling Christ that that would grow and fan into flame grow is a key word because look at what he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded it's agricultural imagery right I want the roots to grow deep I want the soil to not be hard I want it to be soft so when God strengthens He breaks up that soil. You press into the God who is the father of all things. And by so doing, there is this depth of intimacy. There is this deeper reality of Christ dwells with me. It's a growth. The more you are with him, the deeper you begin to understand 
how precious it is that he is with you. He is with you. Now, I know as a sports fan that I am, the more I understand a sport, the more I enjoy it. So, there have been many times when I have watched football and not understood all the different schemes. They're talking about all kinds of defensive schemes and all kinds of offensive schemes. Having not played football, yeah, I got cut from pretty much every team that I could get cut from, except for tennis. I did tennis or something. I did do tennis. So, but, you know, not football. So when they talk about all these schemes, I'm just like, I don't quite understand it. Well, the more I talk to some of you people who understand these things and I listen, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And the more I understand what they're doing, the more I appreciate the moment. The same with art. If I go and I just look at a painting and I'm not told what that beast is, I'm like, those are good colors. You know, I mean, it begins to be simple. The appreciation begins to be lower. When you hear it was created out of this experience. And what it took to create this is a lot more complicated than just a paintbrush on a canvas. Or, recently I went and saw a play. I've seen plays before. And as I go and I see a play, it's one thing to enjoy the story. But in this play that I saw, I knew several of the actors, and I knew their journey. The more I knew those individuals, the experience of that play took on new life for me. Because it wasn't only the story. It was watching them perform out of an emotional place that I knew about. And it gave me deeper joy. And a deeper appreciation and a deeper love for the moment. Here's what Paul is saying. The more you know me, the more you will be comforted and encouraged and made stronger and have greater hope. And the more restored you will be by this idea that Christ dwells in you. The presence of God becomes 3D. There is no greater promise than the Lord is near. And this is why he says, I just want you to be strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. In love. What is this love? Rooted in love. This horizontal love. Listen to Ephesians 5.1 comes just a chapter or so later. Therefore, be imitators of God as loved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our faith, Galatians says, works itself out into love for one another. And so he says that I'm praying that you have strength that your faith would deepen and that your love for others would grow. How is that love going to grow? It's going to grow when you are able to comprehend and to know the love of God for you. Listen to how he says it in John 13, 34. 
A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Okay? I want your love to be rooted and grounded and deepened. And I want you to have love for one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The only way the love for others grows is that you begin to abide and rest and understand the love of God for you. And that's why he goes on to say, and may have strength, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Dear friends, the Lord hears you, he strengthens you, he dwells with you, and he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. This many times often asked myself why this message is so precious in our culture, in our lives, in our experience, the love of God. And it's many, for many of us, it's because human love has fallen short. But the heart was created to want love. And so, when you summarize the whole Bible and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, love is pretty essential to the human experience here, right? I'm going to summarize it all by love. And yet we have experienced fallible love from one another. This is why Paul's praying for Jews and Gentiles, because he knows this is a reality. He knows this is a reality that our love is imperfect. How in the world will we love one another when we see a perfect God loving an imperfect people? Then we will be able to understand what it is to be rooted and grounded in love. And so he says here, my prayer for strength in the inner being is that the Spirit of God would so strengthen them that they would love the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit. They would love the fact that God dwells with us, but the only way that faith will grow and love will extend is if we are convinced that we are loved by God. I was reading a little book by David Pallison on anxiety, and he said this, that God is after, and here he, I put in quotes because this is his phrase, God is after bigger game. He said, there's something larger than, and then I add some of my words here, that is, he's after something larger than our anxiety disappearing or our job improving or our relationships having more peace or our sadness dissipating. He's after something larger. It's a bigger game, is what David Pallison says. And here's the quote, quote, you are his child and he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him and he intends for your anxiety and your troubles and your response to your troubles to drive you to him. That's the point. It's not that anxiety dissipates or job improves is that you get nearer to Jesus. Quote goes on. He doesn't intend for us to artificially calm ourselves with truisms. God's peace comes to us as our relationship with him becomes deeper, more honest, and more intimate. The invitation here is 
an honesty about how we feel and about the sins within and about the circumstances that are overwhelming us. And this honesty runs to bow the knee and to say, Father, I give it to you. I give it to you because the greatest need we have is not for the sadness to go away or the anxiety to run away. It is to be near to him. And as we are near to him, we will trust him with those results. The good news is, if the pain persists, he's still there. He's still there. That's what I'm saying. Like, the more you walk through the trial, the more you understand the preciousness of the nearness of God. He's still there. He's never left. He loves you. The cross screams, I love you. I will go to the nth degree to tell you I love you. John 15, 9 says this. As the Father has loved the Son, so I have loved you. Just, if you need to meditate on something, you need to sit on that one. How tempted are we to say, no, no. We are over here. His love for them is greater than his love for us. Or his love for them over here is great because maybe our circumstances or because what we are going through, because our struggles, we compartmentalize it. No, he says, as I have loved the son, I love you. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. And we receive it by sheer grace. I mean, it is astounding. And so he says, why don't you sit there a bit? Abide in that. Isn't that what he says? Abide in my love. Sit there. He's not going to leave you. Sit with him. As the father loves the son, so I have loved you, church. Dwell in that for a little bit. That's why he also says in 1 John 4, 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is the growth that every Christian needs. It is to know experientially and to be convinced that God loves you no matter what you're going through. He goes on to say, God is love. That's who he is. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You just see, it's this dance. Sit with him because he's sitting with you. He's dwelling within you. Be with him. You can only love him because he first loved you. You can only love others because he loves you. Know his love. Good night. Just sit there for a little bit. Your brain just starts doing gymnastics. He says that you may have the strength. You know why you need strength? Because it's not natural to just sit and abide in the love of God. Neutral goes to drama. Neutral goes to the unknown. Neutral goes to control. Neutral of the heart goes to all the badness that's happening. That's where neutral goes. And he says... I am praying that you've got strength to put that beast in drive. 
I'm praying that you've got the Spirit of God dwelling within you to strengthen you so that you are able to abide. I mean, what he does here is basically he's pulling out a tape measure. He pulls out a tape measure and he goes, I want you to just know the width. Okay, this way. I want you to know the depth. This way. I want you to know the height. This way. You know, whatever. All dimensions that you can know the love of God, that's how I want you to study it. If you go to place a piece of furniture someplace, I don't know if you've ever done this thinking it's going to fit and it just doesn't. If you haven't, then you try to figure out like, okay, I need to get that tape measure. I need to make sure this thing's going to fit where it goes. You've, have you ever measured one way and not another and realized, stink, it works this way, but it doesn't work this way. Or it's taller than I thought it was. It's this pressing in to say, every facet of the diamond is beautiful. And every way you could ever study, every angle you could ever gaze, that is what I'm praying you've got strength for. To stare at the beautiful diamond of God's love, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God, and to know it just surpasses knowledge, and yet he tells us to abide there, to know it. I want you to comprehend what you can't know. Amen. (laughs) And as we abide with him, we know his love. Our faith begins to find firm footing. The roots go deeper. The ground becomes softer. The indwelling experience of his presence, the fullness of his spirit grows. Peace, hope, restoration, joy. They begin to characterize us more and more. Our love for others increase because we know He loves us. And finally, the Lord is working far beyond our comprehension. You've got to know that He hears us. He strengthens us. He's with us. He loves us. And He is at work. He is at work. It's one of the most debilitating things about pain is when you forget that God is present and at work. It happens, right? It happens. You feel like you're all alone, that the train's not moving forward. It's stuck in the station. We just need to be reminded that God is always, 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 always at work. I mean... There's very, I mean, this is one of the more, more famous passages in the Bible. Now to him, to him who is able, no lacking resources. Remember the richness of his glory, the vastness of the ocean. That's how I'm praying. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. That's comforting to me. In my weak brain, I don't even know what to pray for. He's able. He's able to do far more than you will ever even be able to ask for or even think to ask for. According to the power at work within us, the Spirit of God indwells. This is just like a summary of where we've been. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever. The point here is there is a God who is working in abundance. 
He is working in abundance far more than you can ask or think. So give him glory. Shout praise. He is at work. You see it in the scriptures. I've used it before, but it it cannot land softly on us that it took the persecution of the church in Acts 8 to spread the church and to move it forward. You would not have had the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch where Philip not scattered because of persecution. And because he was scattered, he went and he proclaimed, conversion happens, the church spreads. You know when they're going through the attacks, what is going on? I don't get it. It appears as if God is not at work. But he is at work, far more than you could ask or think. And he's work in abundance. My parents told me of the story, they told me a while back, about a father who was diagnosed with mouth cancer And just a little bit later, I'm not sure if it was days or weeks, but just a little bit later, he had a daughter who was in a horrific car accident. And kind of coming in and out of consciousness, and she was said that she would be paralyzed from the waist down, and she was touch and go for a season. They weren't even sure she was going to make it. And this was of a friend of um, my dad's, And so he was just like, I I need you to pray. I need you to pray. And he says there have been hundreds of people praying because he contacts his believing family members and they go to churches and those churches are praying and just wants you to pray, just wants you to pray for Amy. The next day, no exaggeration, his other daughter was in a car wreck. He has cancer. One daughter gets in a car wreck and is in the hospital, paralyzed, in and out of consciousness. The next day, the other, another daughter is in a car wreck. I mean, if you're ever tempted to say, God is not present, where is he? It would be in this moment. They are believers. They do trust in God. But you can imagine You thought one was enough and something else comes. And you thought two was enough and something else comes. How in the world are we going to have the strength to stand up underneath this? And yet the people prayed. Yes. The father ended up being healed of mouth cancer. Because the people prayed. (laughs) And Amy who was said she was paralyzed from the waist down, coming in and out of consciousness. She is home now. And she's not only conscious, but she's going to be able to walk. She's not paralyzed. And the doctor says that it's miraculous. And you begin to ask why. Because not all stories like this turn out in healing, right? We know that. But you begin to ask why. Because they said Amy's faith was so strong through this, sharing about her faith in Jesus on the hospital bed with doctors. Her faith was so strong and that encouraged those who were praying and those who were praying began to see God answer prayer. I'm able to share this story with you today to encourage you that God hears and he answers prayer and he does miraculous things. Why? 
I guarantee you, Amy, her sister, her dad, they're closer to Jesus because of this. They had to press into God in ways. They had to lay their heart bare in ways they never thought they would. They were taken to depths they never thought they would go. Far more. Far more abundantly. We do not know what God is doing, but we know this. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. And so we say, to you be the glory forever and ever. Hear this, dear friends. We must be a house of prayer, believing that the Father hears, He strengthens, He dwells with you, He loves you, and He is working far beyond our comprehension. Let's pray. Father, thank You for being near to us, and I just ask that You would wash us clean and make us new. I ask that you would refresh us right now. Refresh us right now by the fact that you are at work. You were at work when your son died. The most horrific tragedy in the universe at any time. And yet you were at work. So we can know because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Our God is not dead. He is alive. And so Father, we say, I just pray this prayer. Father, right now I ask that our hearts would bow the knee. I ask that we believe that you are the great sovereign. The creator of all things. And according to the riches of your great glory, I ask right now that in me and in us as a people, you would strengthen us with power by your spirit in our inner being. Touch what only you can touch so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, that we might experience the fullness of your Holy Spirit that love might grow and abound. Father, I pray that we would find it our greatest aim, our richest endeavor to know your love. And that out of that security, oh God, out of that security, we would love one another. To you who is able, to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, Father, we want you to get the glory. So as we take this Lord's Supper, oh God, we want to bow our hearts to you. Father, teach us in this moment. Make us more like your son because of this morning. Please. In a spirit of prayer, when you are ready, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, know he loves you. And in that love, you need not be afraid.
As a follower of Jesus, you can get up from your seat whenever you are ready and go and get the bread and the cup. Confess your sin, your fear, your anxieties. Be specific. Be honest. Open up your heart intimately to him. And at the Lord's Supper, abide in his love. Rehearse the love of the cross, the love of Christ for you. The fact that he will not leave you, he will not abandon you, he will not forsake you. He is fully for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, do not take of this Lord's Supper. But today is a great day for you to be honest. You're a sinner in need of a Savior, unable to rescue yourself from sin. Jesus is your only hope. Call out to Him to change you from the inside out. Admit your inability and call out to Him to save you today. Wherever you find yourself, let's enjoy the Lord's Supper together.